Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to welcome to the show a man whose show I appear on quite a lot, uh, far more than he appears on mine. So I'm going to try and set the record straight, try and uh, even up the balance a little bit. Mark Littlewood, Director General of the Institute of Economic Affairs. Mark, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Great to be with you. Yeah, thank you very much indeed for joining us. I was gobsmacked yesterday, as I'm sure you were, when I heard, first of all, Naheem Zahawi saying it in the House of Commons, followed up by uh, Boris Johnson. When, when Zahawi said it, I thought, surely I've misheard that. Surely I haven't just heard him say that if you haven't been vaccinated twice, you can't get into a nightclub. But sure enough, that's what they've said. That's what they've said. I mean, blimey, Mike, if that was Freedom Day, I, I dread to think what Restrictions Day would look like. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I was actually trying to work out yesterday what freedoms I got back. And there was one. Mm. I, I had lunch in a restaurant and I no longer had to wore a, wear a face mask walking into the restaurant and sitting down at my table. So right. it saved me some mask wearing for about 20 yards. But I don't consider that to be a return of my ancient freedoms. And then you're quite right that they've announced this other, I think now, bizarre restriction. Look, dealing with this illness has been one hell of a problem. Thank God the vaccines come along so we can protect people against it. But we now have to get used to living with this in the same sort of way that we live with flu. And if come September or October, you need to show that you've had a COVID jab in order to get into a nightclub. And my understanding here, I haven't gone into the details of it, Mike, is other large events as well. I'm guessing this might apply to football matches. I'm not sure. Well, I think, I, think, I think they've got around that by saying indoors. I think they've added the phrase indoors. Ah, because, okay. uh, like many things that they did yesterday, um, they've sort of they, they, they come out with a statement, then they sort of clarify it later, as we saw um, yeah. uh, with... Um, with Patrick Vallance, who apparently came out and said yesterday um, that he made a mistake when he said that 60% of people who were vaccinated uh, were uh, in hospital uh, with COVID. Uh, rather, or sorry, the number of people who were, who, who had been vaccinated were 60%. Six, yeah. It turned out it wasn't 60%, it was 40%. It was the other way around. So he made a mistake. Well, I'm glad that you, 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 Mike, are doing a far better job of clarifying for the government than the government itself, if I may say so. Well, exactly I right. Track of what, so so you know, I think... How, so, so how so big has th- cinema got to be before that's an indoor event? Well, exactly. I mean, it's a- exactly. And, it, and I, I think football, they will try and keep out of it on the grounds that it's not played indoors. 
But mm-hmm. still, as somebody pointed out yesterday, if you go to the Emirates Stadium, um, an awful lot of that is indoors. I know you're a Southampton yep. fan. Uh, I, 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 I don't know what the new Southampton Stadium is like. I've not been there. But I imagine there are parts of it which are indoors, aren't there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, large parts. Of the, I mean, I'm in a, the lounge that I'm in. I think there's about three or 400 people in there. And then you go out and sit in the stadium. So if you're not going to be allowing three or 400 people to descend on a nightclub without a vaccine passport, I'm not quite sure why you'd allow three or 400 people to uh, descend on the Saints Bar at St Mary's mm, Stadium. Right. Um, it's, you know, and the, the the government make these announcements and then, well, as we've just proven in the last few minutes, Mark, I think they unravel quite fast, at least logically. But what we've got to keep asking them is, what is the problem you're trying to solve here? Mm. And uh, look, COVID is going to be with us for some considerable time, thankfully at a far less fatal rate than it was uh, a year or so ago. But uh, we, if, if really the problem they're trying to solve is that nobody will ever get COVID again, then forget Freedom Day. There's going to be restrictions for the rest of our lives. Mm. And I think we've now just got to get on and live with it. Thanks to the vaccinations. Thanks to us just learning more about the disease. You know, we know it affects elderly people more than young people. We now have to treat this like flu. And we do not allow a bout of flu to lead to the government insisting that you need a flu passport potentially to get into a nightclub or a cinema or arguments about whether football's an indoor or outdoor sport. It's ludicrous now. We've got to put the foot to the floor. The cure is way worse than the disease. There's a great um, French economist and philosopher, Michael Frederick Bastiat, and he was the one who pointed out that politicians, indeed people in general, are very bad at distinguishing between the seen and the unseen. So you can see what the government's doing to try and get rid of COVID. So everybody's attention's over there. But the unseen damage is just colossal in terms of the uh, economic hit that we're taking, the mental health hit we're taking, other illnesses which have gone untreated for too long because we are still putting so much effort on COVID. The cure, I think, is now far, far worse from the disease. So I'm still waiting for Freedom Day. I don't recognise yeah. this today as having been it. Do you know what worries me the most, Mark? And this might be me just being a bit over cynical um, because we have become a very cynical nation. I was pretty cynical to begin with. I wonder whether this is another ruse cooked up by the behavioural scientists at SAGE to get the Prime Minister to issue this kind of dictum and say it will come in September in order to get younger people to get vaccinated, because apparently quite a lot of younger people are just saying, no, thanks, I don't really want it, which is entirely their right, which is entirely their, um, um, you know, their, their, their choice to make. And I wonder whether this is another one of these kind of nudge techniques, which would be actually quite despicable if it was true. Yeah, I wish they would be honest about it. You know, Mike, you and I spend a lot of time trying to second guess the motive of politicians. And you, you said yourself crazy before too long. But I, th- I don't think your theory is uh, ludicrously conspiratorial. Mm. We've already seen sort of gimmicks like if you roll up to have the uh, vaccine this weekend, you'll be, you know, your name will go into a hat to get into the Euro right. 2025 and all the rest of it. So I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong here. Uh, especially given the, uh, the the sort of long lead-in time to September. I mean, what is particularly crazy here really doesn't seem to bear uh, even the scantest of, of uh, cross-examinations is, you know, why can you go into a nightclub tonight, tomorrow night, next week and next month without a vaccine passport, but you're suddenly going to need one at the end of September? So to my mind, you might well be right. This is a way to try and encourage, force or oblige 
young people to get the vaccine, um, a matter about which I think we should be wholly uh, relaxed. Uh, if you're vulnerable, got an underlying condition or old, get the vaccine. Uh, we'll have booster jabs uh, this uh, winter. Uh, I've got an underlying condition, so I get a flu jab every year as well. Uh, you can now, I think, take your chances, look after yourself, get yourself vaccinated. But we don't need gimmicks or schemes right. or ludicrous sort of checks at nightclubs. I mean, I don't think this would in, in practice actually be enforced in most nightclubs to try and nudge people along. We, we haven't cracked COVID, but we probably cracked it now pretty well, what, you know, much what, as much what, what as we're exactly, ever going yeah. to. I mean, what exactly do they think is going to happen? Do they think they're going to send out, you know, teams of COVID marshals to go and check inside nightclubs to see whether people have been double jabbed? I mean, I don't see it. I was talking to a mate of mine last night uh, who runs nightclubs, and he said in Scotland they're talking about making uh, dancing only available to those people who have to wear a mask while dancing. They've also said you can have live events uh, with music, but you can't have the music any louder than you can hear people speaking over in order for them to be able to speak to you if you're ordering a drink. And you're going, is this actually happening? Are we actually in this world where people are being told you can only listen to music uh, if it's at a very, very low uh, volume? I mean, really? It's, it, it's absolutely ludicrous, Mike. And my hope is actually that we are getting to a position where these sort of rules or um, suggestions are so preposterous that I think that they will break down as people start going about their yeah. ordinary business. I mean, I, I know that we've had this sort of swipe your phone over the QR code at a restaurant for track and taste, trace. I've, I've seen loads of people just sort of generally wave their mm. switched off mobile phone in that direction yeah. with no real enforcement. So I think that we might get into a situation quite quickly where the government imposes all of these bizarre rules, which make frankly very little sense mm. and are totally disproportionate to the problem we're facing. And the great British public shrug their shoulders and just say, I'm just going to have to Whatever. ignore that. It's time for me to get on with my life. Yes. I was going to ask you actually what your experiences were yesterday, because I had a very bizarre conversation with Chris Philp, who claims to be the home uh, and justice minister. And I asked him, what happens if I go to the uh, London Underground and ask uh, to get on the train, but I'm not wearing a mask and they tell me they want me to wear a mask? What's the legal position? He couldn't explain it. He did this whole mm -hmm. kind of, you know, well, it's the right thing to do. And I'm like, well, why is it the right thing to do? And he couldn't really answer that either. So the government themselves, their own ministers, don't know what the legal position is of something that they've made um, possible for people to do, but who are now saying... You should be encouraged not to do that. We should go back to where we were before we lifted the restriction. Huh? You're bang on right, Mike. And here's the problem, right? This is this is the madness you get into when government tries to micromanage our lives. Mm. If the government give us a straight order, you know, we, we might not like it. You know, thou shalt not leave your home. Uh, thou, thou must wear a hazmat suit if you, if you exit your house or whatever. Yes. Well, at least you've got a clear order. Once you start sort of saying, well, on transport, you know, be cautious, perhaps wear one, perhaps don't, and, and ministers can't explain it, you just get confusion. I think the worry there is whether we'll see on transport a, a kind of split, a division between the mask wearers and the people who want their freedom back and lots of tut-tutting and raising of eyebrows, or perhaps worse, if, if people feel very strongly about it. Mm. Far, far better for the government to issue very clear instructions, quite bluntly when they need to, and get out of our lives when they don't. And I'm absolutely with you. I can't make head or tail now of uh, what I'm actually obliged to do under the law. Exactly when do I have to wear a face mask? Do I have to wear one at all, given I'm, I'm an asthmatic? Or, well, and apparently if I don't not. have to wear one. And, and then do I need a badge explaining that? I mean, it, it's become so convoluted, so complicated, that uh, my rule of thumb now, Mike, is 
I'm going to go about my life in what I consider to be a reasonable, sensible way yeah. back to normal. And I'm going to hope that keeps me on the right side of the law, because if I keep trying to work out what all of these petty, ludicrous laws and regulations are, uh, I will send myself completely crazy and round the bend. Just a bit of common sense by, uh, I think, ordinary folk is the best way for us to get yeah. back to normal. I think it's absolutely right. Stay with us, Mark. We're going to stop for a little while, but we've got to come back to Mark Littlewood, Director General of the Institute of Economic Affairs. Freedom Day, Shreedom Day, whatever you want to call it, we want to know what you were doing. We want to know what you found. We want to know what you what you heard, what you were told, what people were saying, what you were doing, what you noticed other people doing, because it's time, basically, that we took back control. You know, Brexit was about taking back control. It's now time we took back control of our own lives. To hell with these politicians who think that we pay them to tell us what to do. You're not telling me what to do. You can get lost. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Mark Littlewood is with us. He's the Director General of the Institute of Economic Affairs. And Mark, I mean, apart from anything else, this idea about vaccine passports if you have been double jabbed in order to get into a nightclub there's no guarantee that you haven't got covid anyway as the health secretary has shown us the secretary of state for health sajid javid brilliantly uh, managed to contract covid despite being double jabbed uh, just before the weekend thereby pinging the prime minister and the chancellor so the idea is that you can't be tested to go into a nightclub so you might actually be able to go into a nightclub with covid as long as you've had two jabs brilliant yeah it's it's ludicrous mike and, and again i i, I... I was mentioning a little earlier about um, how governments try to micromanage our, our lives. We've got to, I think, and the great British public, I think, feel this, but our politicians have got to start realising it. You cannot eliminate all risk from the system. No. And it sometimes looks like in dealing with COVID-19 or indeed in a whole array of other government policies, the, the fallacy they're falling for is if we have this system and this card and this passport and this app, somehow risks will fall to zero. You can't do that. Mm. Life is about taking risks. You want to obviously keep them relatively low. Uh, but I think that we're, we've got a government who are trying to get not just to a sort of zero COVID world, but a zero risk world. And that's actually a pretty miserable place to live in. So you're quite right. I think we've got to, on these sort of things, take a common sense approach rather than believing that some new policy regulation or rule is somehow necessarily going to make us all safer. It's going to come at a cost of a fortune and likely to do very little good. Yeah, and also at the same time as bringing in all this nonsense, they are in their briefing yesterday making it very clear that we are nowhere near the sort of place we were back in January when a lot of people were dying and a lot of people were going to hospital. 34,000 people, I think, were in hospital at that time. Uh, they say that there's more people now. Uh, we're getting as many, almost as many cases or tests as they, as they were doing. But we're testing too many people. I mean, America yesterday basically said, you know, Britain should now be a no-go area for Americans because of the number of, uh, of what we are calling cases, but which are actually just positive tests. So nobody wants to come here. We'll end up being the pariahs once again of Europe. We won't be able to go anywhere. I mean, it's almost like they're shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, I, I think that the data gathering has now gone uh, too far, Mike. I mean, you kind of get the impression that if uh, the government and the health officials could test each and every one of us every 10 minutes, every hour of every day, they'd want to, uh, just in order to sort of build a huge spreadsheet or picture of exactly what's happening. What we know is happening, thankfully, because of the rollout of the vaccine um, programme and the genius of the scientists who invented the, uh, the vaccine itself, is we've broken this link, really, between you getting COVID and it being ultra, ultra serious. Of course, it still is for some people. I'm making a general aggregate uh, observation. It's not true in all cases, but your chance now of dying 
or getting seriously, seriously ill and needing to be on a ventilator in hospital for days, much, much lower. But do you so know what, Mark? Do you know, like yeah, hang on a second. One, one second, Mark. Do you know what? It's always been pretty low. It's never yeah. been a high risk for most people in this country. You know, the most uh, affected people in this country were over the age of 80. And there's no yeah. doubt about that. And the government have admitted that. So for people even like yourself that have got underlying conditions or myself who might be considered to be a bit overweight. Uh, some people some people would say I'm being a bit too kind to myself. Um, but basically, you know, even for us, the risk was pretty low. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I don't think there's been enough about that. It's... Uh... Uh, we could have got ill. Uh, the, the risk was very low that it would have been a lot worse than that. Do you remember, Mike? I think it was Matt Hancock who said, once we vaccinated all of the over 65, yeah. we'll be able to cry freedom. Yes. Well, we cleared that We cleared that hurdle uh, some good time ago. Everybody over the 65 who wants the jabs had one. We're a long, long way from crying freedom. Matt Hancock might be crying, but he's not crying <laughs> freedom for sure. Uh, so I agree with you. Once we learn enough about this illness... The illness, the COVID-19 is incredibly, incredibly ageist. It's killed very few people under the age of 40. So uh, I think once we've vaccinated all of that cohort, all of the people who are at risk, and we're pretty much there. For everybody else, try not to catch it. Don't deliberately go and catch it. Uh, get your jab would be my advice. But there's nothing else to say and, right. and, and there's nothing else to do. Yeah, but also no my advice would be, to I would also say my advice would be don't get the jab if you don't want it. You know, there's yeah. nothing wrong with not having it. You know, you shouldn't be treated like some kind of pariah. You shouldn't be told uh, that you should get it. It's your absolute and utter social duty to get it. You know, get lost. Don't tell me what I should be doing. Don't tell me yeah. who I should be talking to. Don't tell me what I should be thinking. You know, that is not freedom. And let me just finish, Mark, with what I always do uh, regarding the Daily Telegraph's deaths report. Uh, 19 deaths from COVID apparently yesterday. From all causes, however, in England and Wales, week 26, 1,258. So that means basically um, that you're talking about 1,249 1, people died yesterday, not from COVID. Yeah, uh, I think, Mike, uh, COVID deaths are now just about the 20th most common cause of death in, in Britain, some, not in the top handful. Mm. So we're, we're over. We're, we're overdoing this. If we're going to use all of these rules to tackle uh, COVID, which is still killing some people, but a low number, we're going to have to roll out similar nonsense to deal with, I don't know, pneumonia, influenza, yeah. uh, road accidents, people drinking too much and, and, and all the rest of it. Thankfully, the good news is we've pretty much cracked this illness. So we should now be crying freedom, getting back to our lives and turning our attention to bigger, more important problems. But that, unfortunately, Mike, might be the way that you and I think in the independent republic of Mike Graham, but it's not the way our political and public health classes think. And that's the fight we've got on our hands. And that is the fight. And I'm not concerned because I know we're going to win it. Mark, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Mark Littlewood, the Director General of the Institute of Economic Affairs. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, just before we speak to Ben Habib, uh, who's going to be with us to talk about the migrant crisis, for that is what it is, ladies and gentlemen. Um, what about poor old Dominic Cummings? Dominic Cummings is still sort of whirling around like some kind of dervish, making out that he's somebody that we should listen to. He's now given an interview. Here's what I can tell you about Dominic Cummings and his judgment, right? As if you thought he was a clever man, as if you thought he was some kind of Machiavellian genius, why the hell has he given an interview to Laura Kunzberg from the BBC? 
a woman who has only been described in the past as entirely anti-Boris Johnson, entirely ready to skewer him any given opportunity, entirely ready to prove that she is not unbiased, entirely capable of writing hatchet jobs on the Prime Minister because she doesn't like Tories. I think that's a disgrace. And Dominic Cummings needs to sit down and shut up. He needs to get a job, basically. Maybe he get a job working for Eddie Stobart, driving trucks or something, because he is an entirely wasted uh, uh, effort. His, his time has been wasted. Uh, I don't know what we paid him for. And quite frankly, if we are still paying him uh, for the public from the public purse, I think we should ask for our money back. That's how useless he is. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's talk to Ben Habib, uh, CEO of First Property Group, co-founder of Unlocked, former Brexit Party MEP, of course, on the news that, you know, another great uh, number one breaking record uh, for this government. We managed to have more migrants than ever arriving on our shores yesterday, the very day that Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, announced that she was going to be bringing in new rules, which would make it harder for them to come. Really? Are you sure? Ben, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. This is quite remarkable, isn't it? I mean, I've seen footage uh, over the last 24 hours uh, of streams of, of people, all men that I could see, 47 in one case of men walking along a beach near Folkestone, um, Young men having come on these boats, which are now no longer, I don't think we can call them dinghies anymore, because they've now actually become so huge that they're sort of ocean-going um, vessels which can carry up to 50 people at a time. Yeah, and they're being escorted in by our coastal guard. I mean, it's extraordinary. You know, here we are a year and a half into Boris Johnson's 80-seat majority, and he's failed to give effect to one of his cornerstone promises which was to take back control of our borders. Yeah. Now, taking back control of your borders isn't a theoretical exercise. It's a practical one, you know. And this isn't a migrant crisis, by the way. This is an illegal migrant crisis. And it needs to be stopped before these people get into our waters. Mm. Not, not welcomed and escorted back from French waters into the United Kingdom. Mm. Didn't Pretty Patel say that she'd done a thirty million pound deal with the French authorities to, you know, pave the way for them to actually hold some of these people in the, in France? Well, that hasn't worked no. either. No, apparently not. I mean, I was talking to uh, to Chris Philp yesterday, who's the Home and Justice Minister, who told me that so far we've apparently arrested 65 people uh, who are thought to be in the human trafficking business. And I said, well, what's happened to them? Uh, he said, oh, well, they've all been prosecuted and some of them are in prison. So I'm going, oh, great. So we're now paying to put them in our prisons in this country, you know, at a, at a huge cost to the taxpayer. What on earth is going on? Pretty did have a good idea a few weeks ago. I don't know whether they're going to follow through with it. I suspect, like, with all good ideas, the government will probably drop it. But she did come up with the idea of having a, a centre in Rwanda yeah. for the processing of these asylum seekers or, you know, these illegal immigrants. So, you know, let's do that. Let's make it utterly clear to them that anyone who seeks to enter the United Kingdom illegally will be directly removed to this centre in wherever it is in Africa. Yeah. And they'll have the opportunity to apply through the legal processes. Yes. And also, why not do what you and I have discussed many times and what Australia did, uh, which is to say, if you come here illegally, you will never be allowed to settle here. That will never work. Absolutely. And that, I mean, Absolutely. surely, surely that, that's base one, isn't it? That is base one. That is base one. I stand corrected. You're quite right, Mike. Base one is actually to say and to enforce any anyone trying to get into this country illegally is automatically barred from any other process yeah. to get into it. 
Because what we saw Absolutely. yesterday with these 430 plus people coming is that they know exactly what's going to happen because, you know, the world is a very small place. People have smartphones. They're sending messages backwards and forwards. The people trafficking uh, is now an, an industrial scale business where people are making millions and millions of pounds a year. You're not going to stop it simply by threatening them uh, with arrest because then they already know they're breaking the law, but they think they can do it because as soon as they land on a beach here, they get taken for processing and they never leave. And they never leave. Yeah, it's a terrible indictment of this government. You know, this is the government that said it would get a grip of our borders. Yeah. This is the government. By the way, it was the Conservative Party in 2015 who said they ditched the European Convention of Human Rights, mm. you know, which is part of the problem here. And... And it's the same it's the same Conservative Party that signed the European Convention of Rights into the trade and cooperation agreement with the European Union. So we're bound into it. And pretty, like all other government ministers, makes all the right noises, but she's not actually acting. No. We need to see these policies in action. We need to see this rhetoric actually affected into practical terms to protect the United Kingdom's borders. They don't do it. They all talk a good fight. You know, I'm not going to change the subject uh, for a long period of time, but we've heard for a year and a half how Lord Frost was going to get control of Northern Ireland, how we were yes. going to get the EU out of Northern Ireland. Lord Frost has been repeatedly saying, as has the Prime Minister, we'll invoke Article 16 if this goes on. We're now into the end of July and they haven't invoked mm. Article 16. It took the EU two hours to do it. Yes. You know, we are the, the, the government has all, it knows everything it needs to do because the rhetoric is right. It knows what it should be doing. It has the 80 seat majority to give effect to what has to be done, but it doesn't do it. And it seems extraordinary, does it not, that this one particular issue, I mean, governments stand and fall uh, sometimes on one issue. And at the moment, there's about three issues that they could fall on, uh, despite the 80-seat majority. So many people I'm seeing saying we're never voting Tory again. You know, they haven't taken control of the borders back. They haven't sorted out Northern Ireland. And now they've introduced this ludicrous vaccine passport idea. People are sick to, to the back teeth. And we haven't even mentioned yet, Ben, uh, the possible, you know, national security issues with these people coming here. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they've come from. We don't know what their intentions are. You know, and people say, oh, you can't, you know, make out that they're all criminals. Well, I don't know what they are. I have no idea. And I'd like to know who's coming here. I'd like to know where they're going. I'd like to know what they're doing. And I'd like to know what we're doing for them. Yeah, well, there's been no due process in their arrival for obvious reasons, because they're illegal. So, you know, we don't know who they are. They need to be put back on boats and sent back to France. Mm. And we need to be more draconian. We've got to start enforcing our borders. You know, most borders have barbed wires and guards on the side, you know, one side of them to prevent this sort of thing. So why is our Coastal Guard and Navy just unable and unprepared to do this? It's because we are still taking the proverbial knee to the European Union. And we've done it through the Trade and Cooperation Agreement, and we do it in, at a practical level in the failure to enforce our own borders. It, 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 it just sickens you, actually. And, you know, as you say, it, you look at the government's sort of Freedom Day. What a disaster that's been. Again, mm. I've slightly changed the subject, Michael. Yeah. What a disaster Freedom Day has been. You know, on Freedom Day, he's effectively reversed the policy on the enforcement of vaccination because a passport is nothing more than forcing everyone to be vaccinated. Mm. And the whole point about vaccinations was to get herd immunity. Now, once you reach herd immunity, you don't need to worry about vaccinations anymore. You shouldn't worry about young people 
by, by the way, only 200 people under the age of 30 have died of the virus. Mm. You know, you shouldn't have to worry about whether or not they're vaccinated. We should all be able to go about our business. But again, you know, a government that knows what it needs to do isn't doing it. It's just a litany, a series of things that they say they're going to, to do. They all mm. sound sensible and then they fail to do it. The reverse at the last second. I was delighted on Sunday morning when I heard the prime minister wasn't going to self-isolate because Sajid Javid had been tested positive. I thought, great, yeah. some common sense. You they know, should have, and they the should virus. have stuck with that, shouldn't they? They should have stuck with it. Why did he U-turn? Why did he U-turn? It's so weak. Mm. And it's that weakness that comes through in, in, in their inability to take practical actions to protect our country. It is. And the problem as well, I mean, we, we, I mean, it's not a question of changing the subject in the end, Ben, because it's all the same subject. It's about ineffectiveness, it's about indecision, uh, and it's about in the inability of this government to see what it is that the people wanted them to do when they voted them in. And, I mean, how ironic is it that you now go to France if you want to go and see some friends and you can't uh, come back without having to quarantine for 14 days unless you come on a bloody dinghy. <laughs> in which case you're free to come yeah, in. that's fine. That's not a problem. You know, I mean, that's where we I'm are. It's, laughing, it's, really, it's, it's really, it's really very serious. It really is, absolutely. But listen, Ben, we have to laugh, otherwise we go insane. Uh, good to see you. Uh, I'll see you soon, I hope. Ben Habib there, CEO of First Property Group, co-founder of Unlocked, former Brexit Party MEP. You do have to laugh, but it is no laughing matter. We are um, in the brown stuff quite deeply in all sorts of ways, not just on the beaches of this country, not just because the border force is no good, not just because we have been told that we have to have two vaccinations to go to a nightclub, not just because we don't know who any of these people are that are coming in, 430 plus yesterday. Uh, who knows where they're going to end up? Who knows where they're going to live? Who knows where their children are going to go to school if they eventually bring their children here? It's an absolute shambles, is it not? I'm quite annoyed. Actually, I'm very annoyed. I'm slightly worried that it is another one of these Boris Johnson kind of manoeuvres. The nudge brigade from Sage have said to him, look, if you threaten nightclubs with this coming in September, it might just get a load of young people out there uh, getting jabbed because that's what we want. We want everybody jabbed in the country. We want everybody to take the vaccine. Why they're doing that, I don't know. Uh, what it's all about, I don't know. Let's find out from Madeline Stone what Big Brother Watch is planning to do about it. Madeline, a very good uh, morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. I mean, you, I'm sure, like me, shuddered slightly when I saw uh, what the plan was. Uh, first up from uh, from Nadim Zahawi in the House of Commons and then confirmed by Boris Johnson. In fact, when Zahawi said it, I kind of did a double take. I thought, did he just say that? Did he actually just say that they're going to require people to have double vaccinations to go into uh, a nightclub and there will be no exceptions and you can't just take a test? I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's, it's absurd. Um, you know, this policy... Uh, as I'm sure you would agree, is, is a complete disaster for rights and freedoms. It would be a step towards a dystopian new normal. And there's very little evidence, all of these problems, and very little evidence it would actually benefit public health. Right. And you're right, it's, it's totally a cynical move to be targeting nightclubs in this way. You know, I mean, as the PM gave his announcement, he was made a very clear link, didn't he? He said, we need to increase vaccine uptake in young people. Oh, and by the way, nightclubs are especially dangerous. I don't think it's particularly subtle what they're trying to do here. Mm. And it's a really dangerous path to go down this kind of coercive approach to healthcare. Of course, um, we know that people who are vaccine hesitant, when they feel they're being coerced, 
actually pushes them away and mm. um, evidence suggests that countries that have coercive vaccine policies actually have a much lower vaccine take up. We have a really fantastic attitude towards the vaccine in this country. People have come forward in massive numbers, uh, record breaking numbers, I think globally actually in terms of vaccine uptake and vaccine positivity. And to take this kind of coercive, punitive approach towards healthcare is really dangerous and mm. not just for coronavirus, but also for public health in the long term. If you increase distrust and suspicion around public health measures, you know, we're setting ourselves up potentially for decades of people who don't want to engage with public health measures because they have this kind of horrible hangover of the coercion of this of this time period. Mm. And what do you think is their obsession, Madeline, with getting people vaccinated? Because it does now border on obsession. It's all they talk about. I mean, Boris is not going to do Prime Minister's questions, I assume, uh, from uh, from checkers this week because uh, he's self-isolating. But whenever he's in the chamber, he always refers to the fact that the vaccine rollout's been a great success and we want to vaccinate more and more people. So Harvey, whenever he's talking, wants to vaccinate more and more people. I mean, why can't they just accept that there are some people, particularly some young people, who just don't want it. Well, of course, you know, um, the vaccine rollout has been a really successful, positive story in this country. Um, But ultimately, it is a personal choice and bodily autonomy is absolutely foundational to our rights and our freedoms. I mean, look what actually today there'll be a debate in the House of Lords about mandatory vaccines for care home staff and not just for care home staff, anyone who wants to enter a care home unless they're a resident or a visitor. This kind of coercive approach, is the tentacles are spreading all over society. And as I've said, it's really not the right way to to approach healthcare. And of course, before we even get into the discrimination of vaccine passports, um, you know, this will fundamentally change the lives of many people in this country it will lock them out of society this approach to you know vaccine uptake is it's not about public health it's about making people feel like if they don't kind of comply they won't be allowed to participate in the most you know fundamental enjoyable parts of life Mm. and as i said that's a really dangerous way to go about this well exactly right and i mean i understand that you guys are looking at a possible legal challenge if it does become a fact then not not just a piece of propaganda that they're kind of threatening nightclubs with and what would be the legal position if they were to enforce this well you know currently there's been no mandatory vaccine policy in the in the uk since the victorian britain and actually it was the mandatory vaccine for smallpox that started the kind of anti-vaccination league. Mm. It was a massive backlash. It actually led to the invention of the term a conscientious objector. Um, and it was a disaster. And they had to roll that back pretty quickly. We have never had mandatory vaccines in this country under any law. And in fact, the Public Health Act um, and the Coronavirus Act indeed um, prevents vaccines from being mandatory under those powers. It could be that they're, well, they're probably going to try and attempt to roll out a new legal instrument. They would need to pass it through Parliament first. So I would urge any of your listeners who are concerned about this, and it will certainly be our first port of call, is to write to your MP, contact parliamentarians if you can, and let them know you're not happy. Mm. I know people get frustrated, they don't always respond, but it's so important that they know that people are really opposed to this. So that's the first kind of battle is getting this through Parliament, and we'll be fighting that very, very hard. If it ends up in a legal challenge, um, I'm sure there'll be data protection issues, human rights issues, issues around discrimination Mm. and equality, especially if they take this approach, which they've said they will, where tests and antibodies are not even valid, because that is hugely discriminatory. In fact, Nadine Zahawi said a few days ago, I think, on Twitter, um, 
oh, don't worry, COVID passes, they're not discriminatory because we don't just count on vaccine passes. If it was vaccine only, then it would be discriminatory. Already they've backtracked on this and they're now saying it's vaccine only. Yes, I think that's the problem. And what we also know is that Boris Johnson is a prime minister who doesn't take kindly to pressure from anywhere. So if it comes from his MPs who say, we've all been getting loads and loads of emails about this, you know, he will no doubt change his mind in the same way that he did over Matt Hancock. Yes, absolutely. And um, so it's so key to kind of make your voice heard. This is a, it's been a bit of a, a rocky road, this path. There's been so many U-turns. We've been going around in circles trying yeah. to fight these vaccine passports. Um, but, you know, don't give up. Another really, really important step is to boycott any venues that are using them. We know that some venues are starting to introduce them. I know that it's uh, it might be a bit difficult and I've already had to start missing out on, on things that I wanted to go to. Mm. But the most important thing, if you're against these, is to let businesses know, as well as MPs, that we will not accept them, that vaccine passports, as well as being all these things, discriminatory, unnecessary, that they're just you know, going to make, make them lose money because that's what they're going to listen to. So it's really important to to kind of put your principles on the line here and, yeah. and boycott anyone using them. No, I think you're absolutely right. Funnily enough, just before you came on, we had a call from a, from a woman who had been in a pub in Sussex uh, yesterday, um, which was insisting on wearing masks, even though masks are no longer legally required put out a statement on uh, on social media saying that, you know, if you want to come to our pub, you've got to wear a mask inside and outside. Um, and she said the thing that really surprised her was the way that so many people reacted to it in a positive way. Like, this is a great thing that you're doing. You know, thank goodness that you're keeping everybody safe. And the mask debate is now also another kind of human rights issue practically because I tried to get from Chris Philp yesterday, who's the Justice Minister, um, what the legal situation is if you don't wish to wear a mask in a place where they're insisting that you do, because it's not a legal requirement uh, and you don't have to, surely. Well, venues are permitted to um, make decisions about masks. But I think the real the real problem here is that it's very confusing for people. Obviously, you know, as has been the case throughout this entire pandemic, government says one thing, the law says another, guidance says another thing. People are extremely confused. And, and I think the most key thing actually with, with mask wearing and that we've noticed, and we actually wrote a letter to um, to the government along with lots of disability organisations, because many people who are exempt from mask wearing have been treated really appallingly by the police. Um, there was one incident where a man was actually tasered for not wearing a mask. You shouldn't have to be proving your medical exemption um, to wearing a mask. That's a real invasion of privacy. Mm. You don't out a bit of paper saying respiratory issues that's complete invasion of privacy and actually the same um, approach applies to vaccine passports because ministers are saying um well actually it's not discriminatory because you're exempt you can you can give a bit of paper and show why but that's not that's not how medical privacy works no. we have the you know medical confidentiality is actually foundational to public health and to individual health we have all these protections around disability law around confidentiality of medical data because we inherently recognise that privacy is so important. So to ask people to kind of be presenting random bouncers or their bosses or whoever wants to see a vaccine passport, you know, either either your vaccine status or your reason why you can't have it, both of those things are incredibly intrusive. Um, and it's a real kind of violation of privacy to have to show those yeah. data to any random stranger who wants to see it. And you shouldn't have to. I mean, it's a bit like going up to somebody who happens to be in a wheelchair, demanding why they're in a wheelchair. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's quite... A, 
disturbing part it that is. we've set up. It really is. But I've seen, unfortunately, what can only be described as the rather dark and, and, and horrible underbelly of, of, of what some people think is an okay way to behave. Because you do see some people being remarkably rude, remarkably intrusive, and remarkably sort of nosy about what you're doing. Well, the government is setting the tone for this, you know, yeah. and they need to be, you know, vaccine passports need to go on the way out because otherwise, obviously, this is what society is going to turn into. It will fundamentally reshape society and make it completely acceptable to ask, you know, anyone to present their, their medical papers on demand. Mm. There's no way that this would stop just at COVID. It's very clear. I mean, the people who are developing these COVID passes have already said, well, this could be very useful for, you know, a general ID system. Um, you know, I'm sure that there's already signs that things like flu vaccines might be required for care homes. So these kind of things, they never stop just sit here. They're always the thin end of the wedge and they will they will spread and mutate and become even more dangerous. So it's so critical mm. that we draw a line in the sand um, and boycott these venues who are using it and make sure you write to your MP. Well said. Madeline, thank you very much indeed. Madeline Stone there, Legal and Policy Officer at Big Brother Watch. They will be on your side, as I am on your side on this, because this cannot this cannot happen. This will not pass, uh, as they say in the Big Lebowski. We're not going to have it. We're not going to take it. We're not going to accept it. And the government needs to back off. Otherwise, things are going to get pretty ugly. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let us say a very good afternoon and welcome uh, into the Independent Republic. Right, said Fred. Fred and Richard, a very good afternoon to you. Afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks very much for joining us. I'm not quite sure why it's taken me this long to get to you guys, but uh, I suddenly thought last night as I was seething over this ludicrous press briefing that uh, Johnson did um, that you you were it was about time you came on. Now I don't know how this is going to work, um, but I mean each one of you probably knows each other better than I do. So so whoever wants to answer the question, I mean, what are they thinking first of all? Oh, okay. Well, I. I think one of the biggest things that people find hard to believe is that poli these, politi these politicians have our best interests at heart. I don't believe that to be the case anymore. And I, I agree with you. I think the, uh, the, we forget that we own the shop. Yeah. Everything we have, everything they have, we pay for. Um, they are servants of the people. They are not the bosses of the people. Yeah. And uh, it's, we've, got our, we've got this power relationship all around the wrong way. And we tend to tug our forelocks whenever we see a politician on the, tele on the television or on the, on the radio telling us what to do. Yeah. We have to get this power relationship back in place, which is we are the people, we're the boss, and you, you, you are there by virtue of our generosity and our votes. That is it. Yeah. And, you're, and, and you're there for a very short time. So, um, and also the other thing I've, I feel really strongly about is the, is the absence within Westminster of anybody standing apart from Swain and one or two others talking about these really fundamentally important things like freedom of conscience, liberty, the right to dissent, all that stuff, um, bodily integrity, all that. It's, it's incredibly important. And I don't understand why, you know, the government and Westminster in it generally is not really exercised about this. I, mm. I don't understand the silence. Yeah, I, really I mean, I wonder about all of it, um, guys, because I wonder whether we have given them too much kind of power They've taken the power. They love the power. They don't really want to give it back. And the way that they can ensure that they continue to keep it is to keep telling us that it's terribly dangerous. It's clearly not terribly dangerous anymore. No, no that that's true. Also, they it, I think they think they're in a they're, they're uh, the recent um, thing about vaccine passports to get into nightclubs. I think Johnson th thinks that is showing his strength. I think it just makes him look weak. Yeah. 
because you shouldn't um, have to coerce and bully people if if the if people don't want to have the vaccine they shouldn't be it shouldn't be compulsory so once you start bribing and coercing people you you clearly have to look at the product that you're trying to get them to get involved with because it, it's clearly flawed because if if you need to bully them maybe you need to take a step back and look look at look at um, why why you're having to yeah. do that because really it should be but with people's consent yeah well, of course. And I mean, it's perfectly natural for young people in particular, I would say. I mean, I've got young kids. I mean, not as young as they used to be, but I've got teenage kids. I don't want them to take the vaccination. I've got a daughter who's 30. She thought about it for a while and then decided to do it. Uh, same with my, my son, who's 26. But, you know, if you're young and you don't fear, fear the, the, the effects of getting coronavirus, because there's a pretty good chance that you'll get it and you'll be fine then, you know, why should you be forced to take a vaccine or why should you feel in any way responsible and why should you feel like it's your public duty? I just don't get it. No. no. Yes, I, we all, I always think you compare it to going into a car showroom and there's loads of cars there, but the salesman drags you over to one particular car and is absolutely determined that mm. you should buy it. The first thing I would think is, what's wrong with this car? Yeah. What, why is he selling it so hard? What's wrong with it? And we've yeah. got a health that's had two has had double jabs and then now he's got covid so <laughs> i mean, you know that, mean? Was a, that was that was an act of pure genius i thought and, and <laughs> you know you go these are the same people i mean everyone in, in in the cabinet has had covid you know why because they don't pay any attention to their own rules you know i'm told i'm told if you cross through the door at downing street nobody's wearing a mask they haven't worn them for ages i'm told they've got a coffee room there where everybody sits very close to one another when we were all told we couldn't go anywhere near anyone no masks, no social distancing, because they're running the government. You know, Boris yes. Boris got it, Hancock got it, Cummings got it. You know, they all got it. Um, I have never had it, but I've been going to work every day since last March, right? What's yeah. going on? You know, well, well, exactly. We, we haven't had it. We've, although our, our problem is we've been, we've, uh, we've had about 18 months of work taken away, like most um, most musicians. Yeah. We don't know a musician that's been furloughed either. Um, so if it wasn't for our writing and the and the pipe what they call pipeline money that comes from publishing we yeah. would be living off savings completely right. now there are loads of people in this country who are who are who don't have savings and they are living hand to mouth yeah uh, it's very very it is to me it's it's one of the worst things that a, that a, that a government can do which is deny people the right to make a living i, I think that is tend to, it's all it's almost as bad as taking a country to war on false perspectives yeah. it's, it's in that area right well, it's also as well, and, and I'm not diminishing what you're saying because you're absolutely right. There are so many people who have lost all sorts of financial uh, situations that they had going. But they also stopped people from seeing each other. You know, people yeah. who were in relationships couldn't travel to, to another country, uh, couldn't even travel to another town at some points, couldn't see their mothers or fathers before they died, couldn't go to funerals. I mean, it's been absolutely disgraceful what's been going on. Yes, yeah, but you can't go to Ascot. Go to G7. Yeah, you know, you go to football. And yeah. if you're an athlete, you don't need to um, quarantine, but uh, the journalists do. And um, it, the whole thing is just, uh, it, it is what one rule for thee and one rule for me. Mm. I mean, the whole thing is so upside down. And I think the, you know, I think we are in a, it's, it's where the, you know, the whole build back better. It's now build back worse, isn't yeah. it? I mean, they're just, it is complete and utter chaos. And I think, well, I, I, what I do think is going back to the vaccine passports in clubs. One thing, I don't think people like Boris Johnson understand how the world works on the street level. No. And that, that, that is unenforceable. It just won't work. Mm. And he's going to, they will fold and they will have to back down because no, no one's going to buy it. Well, not no one, but the vast majority won't. Yeah. Clubs can't work like that. The punters don't want to go in under those conditions. 
Um, and and it's it, it's an affront to all civil liberties. Yeah, it really is. I mean, these are the same people, by the way. The same government can't stop people coming here uh, on boats from France. The same people that can't stop, you know, London being the cocaine capital of the world. You know, there's nothing that they can actually do right. The idea that they can stop people going into a nightclub is laughable, isn't it? It is. They, yeah, they don't. They, they don't have the mandate. They don't have the the skill, basically. And I doubt the coppers. You know, they've depleted the police force over the last many years, and now they're just giving them more work. Yeah. Yeah. Right from, right from the beginning, it would have been great if the government had talked to the British people like adults. If the British government had talked to us like grown-up people and advised us about, you know, how to improve your immune system, how to stay healthy, reduce your drinking if you're drinking, or reduce your smoking, get a good night's sleep, get some exercise. None of that was in, none of that was evident. Mm. Right from the very beginning, the government's position was clear. It was all to do with fines and bullying and policing. That's so what all it was. stick no carrot. All right? stick no carrot. And right. it seemed to me, particularly as prior to this, we'd, we'd had this whole obesity scare, if you want to call it that, yeah. about people not eating right and not staying healthy. This was the perfect time. This was the perfect time to encourage people to look after their health and to look after their immune system and to understand the connection between healthy living and staying well. But the government just chose to ignore that. Mm. I, it was beyond my understanding why it was an open goal right there. And the opposition, particularly under Starmer, is even more. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. even more. If I it's mean, possible. I, 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 a more useless politician, literally, I cannot think of. Um, I can, and and whenever know, he does make a decision to do it, I think he always makes the wrong decision. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, he's just trying to out Johnson Johnson. Yeah, I've got, I've got door stops with better political mouse. Yes, it's <laughs> absolutely Starmer. right. Absolutely yeah. right. But what I tell you, what amazes me though, as well, Richard. I mean, obviously, you come in for a fair amount of criticism, as as do I uh, on social yeah, media, because yeah. that's just the way it goes. But you know, yeah. the number of people who are going, "Why are you getting them on? What do they know about virology?" Well, you know, the point about what we do is what we talk. I said, I suppose you don't want me to talk to people who actually listen either, because they may not know anything about virology, but they know about bloody life and they know about what it's like to live under this ridiculous government. And so I'm interested in what they've got to say. But it's amazing how many people um, are willing to put up with it, though. Yeah, they are. Yeah, well, I think the thing is, Mike, I think that people this has been come. I always think this has been coming for a long, long time. This started many, many years ago and when the state. But, and we agreed to let the state into our private sphere, whether it was seatbelts or smoking or dietary advice or whatever it was, little marks in front of the ATM so you knew how to stand, little arrows in the car park so you know where to walk. We have become in, in, sort of indoctrinated with the idea that we are incapable of making fundamental decisions for ourselves. Mm. And I think this is where you end up. Yes. You end up people deferring to the state on almost everything. Yeah, absolutely right. Because, you know, apart from some very small parts of the world, Florida probably, I, I suppose, would be one place and Texas would be another. But there's not many yeah. places where common sense has prevailed. Most governments yeah. are doing exactly what our government's doing. Yeah. Yes, which, which, which leads to the question, is it, a, is it a coordinated global effort or is it just coordinated chaos yeah well i think i think what it is is i don't think it's a coordinated global they're not that clever i think what it is is that the same kinds of people get into political positions of power because in order to want to do that you've got to be a bit of a plank in the first place i mean you know who would want to be prime minister of great britain or chancellor of germany or you know president of the united states of america you know i don't trust any of these people because to have that ambition immediately makes you a sort of narcissistic moron yes yes yeah i I was watching a a point people to check this out because it's quite i found it quite inspiring it's peter shaw in 1975 addressing the oxford union about membership of the ec mm. and 
It's interesting. Oh, I think that. I have seen that, yeah. yeah it's it's really, fantastic. And what's interesting about that, it, that his passion and his patriotism, which, which on the left is now almost invisible, but his, his passion and his intelligence shone through. And, it, you, and when I watched it, I watched it several times, I just thought, where, is the, where are politicians like that now? Yeah. Who, who are they? Where yeah. are they? You know, people with real care for the British people and, and, and passion and a sense of place. Yeah. Just, now it's all tweets and it's focus groups. And it's, it, it's, I don't think I agree with you. You can't believe any of them. I would no. rather... One thing I liked about Jeremy Corbyn, actually, although I'm not a, a fan, <laughs> is you knew what he thought. Yeah. And, and as unpopular as it was, some of it was, wasn't. Some of it wasn't very nice. So, so. And some of it wasn't very nice, but he was consistently wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I quite like that. I, I admire somebody who sticks to their guns. Yeah. Even if well, when it used to, it used to be called principle, didn't it? I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, we so just were, don't have yeah. that anymore. And it's the same, I think, with the media class. I call them all the political class, really, because they're all from the same kind of background. They're all, you know, reasonably well-off people who don't yeah. really know anything about, you know mixing with ordinary people or doing ordinary jobs they've never done it they've been through you know some nice private school if it wasn't a private school it was a pretty you know well-funded independent yeah. school of some kind you know then they went to university then they got a job and you know they live in nice parts of london they have no yeah. clue what it's like yeah. in this country no they no, don't know no, no, no i think no, i completely agree when, with you. when we did a, a radio tour a few years ago um, we went to Sunderland and it didn't surprise me in the least when Sunderland came up or leave the EU because right. some parts of the country have been absolutely forgotten. Yeah, and yeah. I agree with you with, with regards to this COVID-19 thing. There's a fundamental disconnect between the way most of the people in this country live and what Westminster thinks is happening. Mm. That yes. disconnect. And all the people, and I think all the people who have bought the message that, you know, oh, it's very dangerous, you must continue to wear a mask. I mean, I said yesterday to Chris Philp, who's the Justice Minister, why do you wear a mask on the tube when it's no longer required? And he went, it's the right thing to do. And I went, why? He couldn't answer. Didn't no, know. Of course it didn't. It's no. just virtual signaling claptrap. I yeah. saw a guy today, I saw a guy today driving a, lane, a Range Rover on his own with a mask on and gloves. <laughs> Were they driving gloves? <laughs> driving <laughs> gloves. What are those? <laughs> <laughs> so guys listen what can we do i mean i'm I'm basically just going to keep sitting here people say all you do is talk I, well that's what i'm good at that's what i do uh what can other people do well I, I, all you do is talk with well, the clue is talk radio isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the clue, i mean the does, clue. it does what it says on the tin it's true yeah, yeah exactly right well all we're going to do is we, uh, we we started changing our approach to work last year we we knew that the arts entertainment were going to get hit badly so we're kind of changing the way we work for us, all shows are impossible because of the if the vaccine passport stick it will also apply to artists. Mm. So we will not be coerced. We wouldn't. Um, I'd rather be poorer than be jabbed at the moment. Yeah. Um, so we and um, we will just con continue doing what we do. We turn up the, the odd protest. We uh, there's one this Saturday, July twenty fourth uh, in London, um, and we mouth off on 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 Twitter and it annoys a lot of people and that's fine. And I've annoyed David Bedil a lot, which Excellent. is great. That's always yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's always good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah dreadful little man. And um, uh, and uh, we, that's what we that's what we do. The music industry has been very mute and disappointing. That's I, that's their business. I'm not going to speak on behalf of other people. We're just going to carry on being as non-compliant and and as 
unpleasant to this administration as we can be. Well played. Excellent. Well, listen, I will uh, salute you in that case and, and keep it up and we must talk again. And, and by the way, I watched, uh, just because I thought I'd get in the mood last night, I watched your original, you know, I'm Too Sexy video. What a great video that was. Fantastic. <laughs> I recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it as well. Uh, Richard and Fred Fairbrass, uh, I'm Too Sexy for the COVID epidemic, pandemic, whatever it is. Right said, Fred. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.